for a story that's worth telling. Amen. And it's more than just a fairy tale. It's more than some just make believe story that's told in some kind of book you pick up in the store. It is a true life event. Amen. So I'm thankful for that story that I'm able to tell. And I'm thankful you're able to tell it as well. As you can see, we are preparing for our Christmas services that are coming up. So tonight I'm going to come down amongst y'all and, uh, I was teasing Pastor Darrell, this is not quite as solid as the one that I'm used to stand behind, so I hope it can keep up with me. Uh, I'll try to stay calm enough where I don't affect that, but before we get going into the Word of God, um, I want to go to the Lord one more time in prayer, ask for His anointing to be upon me and, and upon you as well. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for the greatest story that was ever told, God. And it's a story, Father, that each and every one of us in this house are able to tell as well. A story of your love, uh, a love that was demonstrated towards us. And while we were still sinners, you died for us, God. When you called called us unworthy, we sang tonight that you called us your friend instead. So we're grateful for that, God. And we give you the praise for that. I thank you, Father God, tonight for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that's made available to each and every one of us. And I pray, God, tonight that that Holy Spirit, the anointing would rest upon me, that it would fill me 
and that it would fill your people as well, God, that uh, that our time spent together would be profitable and fruitful. God, I pray that you would open up ears to hear and hearts to receive. I pray, Father God, for truth and revelation and for courage, Lord God, to to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. Change us tonight, O God, by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. And we submit ourselves to you in the process. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week we looked at the, the word that I brought for you last week was from First Timothy chapter four, verse seven, that had to do with spiritual training. And it was Paul's challenge to Timothy to train himself to be godly, uh, to discipline himself and to devote himself to the pursuit of godliness in his life. And how many of you know that any time the word speaks to someone, it speaks to us at the same time. So those words were not just to Timothy, they were to us as well. One of the things Paul was stressing to Timothy was that godliness doesn't just happen. We learned that last week. Godliness doesn't just fall out of the sky into our lives, doesn't just fall out of the sky into our lives. It is something that we must prepare for. And according to the word of God is something that we must pursue. And then we must pursue with all diligence, church. Godliness, according to Paul, isn't someone else's responsibility. It's your responsibility and it's my responsibility. It's our personal responsibility. And if you remember last week, I told you there were three principles that we have to have applied to our life or or keep in mind when it comes to training for godliness. Two of them I talked on. The third I'll talk on tonight. But just to get you to where we're going to be tonight, the first uh, principle that we discussed that we have to always keep an understanding of is that godliness or the pursuit of godliness is our personal responsibility. Remember, Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, train yourself. He didn't say, you know, Uh, expect someone else to train or let someone else do all the training for you and let someone else uh, do everything that's necessary for you to be godly. It's our personal responsibility. It's the first principle that we have to keep in mind in our pursuit of godliness, personal responsibility. The second principle that we have to keep in mind is that the objective of our training is growth. Growth is, is, should always be the number one objective to our spiritual growth and our pursuit of, of this thing called godliness. And like I said last week, if your objective, if the objective of your spiritual training, if the objective of you coming to church and the objective of you reading the word of God and the objective of, of you praying and spending time in the presence of the Lord is anything except growth, your objective is wrong. If your objective is like personal recognition, if your objective is to get into some kind kind of ministry, if your if your objective is to get a pat on the back or, or look good to someone else or to be able to boast in your spirituality, your objective is wrong. The, the, the number one objective to every form of spiritual training in our life should be growth because growth is a sign of life. Growth is a sign of spiritual health in, in our lives. Uh, growth is a, is, a, is a sign of spiritual well-being. And we have to keep in mind that growth is it's the number one sign of spiritual maturity in our lives. When someone's growing, they are maturing. So growth, church, is the number one sign of spiritual maturity in our lives. And on the flip side, a lack of growth is the number one sign of spiritual immaturity as well. You see, the reality is when you look at someone that's spiritually immature, and I'm not saying this in, in, a, in a condemning way, there are spiritual babes in the family of God. There are those in the house of God that are spiritually immature. And what, what my, my point is with this is that when you see 
spiritually immature individuals, there is one thing that holds true with all of them. There's a lack of training in their life. There's a lack of spiritual training. There is this, there's a lack of pursuit of godliness going on in their lives. And the only way that you and I will ever come from, from this place of spiritual immaturity to a place of spiritual maturity is through our pursuit of godliness. And this is what Paul was trying to teach Timothy. Those were the first two principles. Without those being put into practice in our lives, godliness will be fleeting. The third principle found in, God, or in Paul's word to Timothy, which I didn't have time to talk on last week or cover last week, and what I'll focus on tonight is our understanding that when it comes to training ourselves to be godly, there are irreducible minimums required. Now, that may seem like a big a big term that you might not understand, and I'm going to give you an understanding of that because that's the title of my message, Irreducible Minimums Required. To give you a better understanding of that so I don't lose you through the whole process, uh, it, it can be likened to the fact that when you interview for a job, there will be a set of minimum requirements put in place in order for you to get that job. When you go for a job interview or when you read a, a, a job posting, you find out right away exactly what the requirements are for you to get that job. Some, some companies will require a minimum amount of education, four years of education or two years of education. Some companies will require a minimum amount of training or experience on the job in, in a position that is like the position that they're hiring for. Some individuals will require from you a minimum Minimum amount of time on the job, 40 hours a week or 30 hours a week, or you'll have to work on a Sunday or you'll have to work at night. There are minimum requirements posted in order for you to get that job. Some places will have minimum requirements concerning your physical ability and agility, like maybe having to lift 35 pounds if it's with a shipping company or 50 pounds if it's with a shipping company because the things that they ship and the things that they receive and the things that they pack weigh 50 pounds. And if you can't lift 50 pounds, if you can't meet the minimum requirements that are posted for the job, guess what? You're most likely not going to get the job because you have not met the minimum requirements that have been set forth. And, and I say all that to give you an understanding, church, that in the same way, Paul makes it very clear that when it comes to training and godliness, there are irreducible minimums that must be in place in order for us to succeed as well. There are minimums that cannot be reduced any farther than they've been reduced. You see, when you go, when you go to get a job, uh, when they post... Usually, typically, when someone posts the requirements for a job, they're minimums. They're not the maximums. They are the minimums. And the minimums that they post, they can't go any lower than they already are. Okay? So, like I shared with you last week when Tracy and I moved to, to Georgia from Pennsylvania and we began to staff our company or family business, uh, I was amazed at at the... I was amazed at the individuals that came in applying for those jobs. We, we posted specifically what was required for the job. And yet 90% of the people that we interviewed didn't even come close to qualifying for the jobs that we needed. It didn't come close to working with a CO2 laser. It didn't come close to working with uh, some of the things that they had to work with in order to manufacture what we manufactured. And the thing that amazed me even more was not that they showed up unqualified. They got mad at me because they weren't qualified. 
They got upset at me because they didn't do what they needed to do to qualify themselves for success. And we're living in a society that's exactly the same way today. They want everything for nothing. They don't want to study. They don't want to go to school. They don't want to get up early. They don't want to make the sacrifice. But they want the big paycheck. And the reality is I was amazed at how many people expected me to lower my standards so they could get hired. It amazed me how many people, like I said last week, didn't even read up or study as to what my company did or our company did so they could at least talk like they were qualified, at least talk like they were skilled, at least talk like they met the the, the irreducible minimums that I had set for them. And the reality is, when it comes to Christianity, we're exactly the same way. But Paul was saying, look, when it comes to this pursuit of godliness, when it comes to acquiring the character of Christ in your life, there are irreducible minimums required. There are requirements and standards that will not be moved, will not be budged, and it's your job to live up to them. It's your job to grow up to them. It's your job to pursue them. It's your job to exercise your spirit until you qualify for this thing called godliness. Amen. And this is what God is trying to teach us. But unfortunately, we don't like that. Uh, A lot of times we don't like that. But we have to be prepared to meet a minimum set of requirements set forth by the Word of God if we want to be godly. We must be prepared to rise up to God's standards instead of asking God to come down to ours. Because there are irreducible minimums, like I said. There are a set of standards or requirements that cannot be compromised or curtailed when it comes to developing the character of Christ in our lives. But unfortunately, like I said, we don't like that. Unfortunately, when it comes to godliness so often, we want God to bend the rules. We want Him to lower the bar. We want Him to create some whacked-out curve so we can qualify for His goodness and qualify for His, His favor and qualify for His blessings and qualify for God to maneuver and do some fantastic thing in our lives. We, we want God to lower His level of expectations and standards. We want the minimums to be reduced even lower than they already are. It's what the employees wanted that came and interviewed for my job. And any of you that have a business, I'll guarantee you the same thing has happened to you. They want you to lower the stand. Can't you just make an exception for me? Can't you just make an and, and And listen, we do the same thing with God. So often we think we're the exception to the rule. Well, God doesn't make exceptions to his rule. God doesn't make exceptions to his word. God has standards. God has established minimum irreducible requirements in our life pertaining to godliness. And I'm going to talk. There are three of them that I want to talk to you about tonight. But listen, uh, just so you get an understanding, the Word of God makes it clear that there's no exception when it comes to training for godliness. There's no exceptions when it comes to developing the character of Christ in our life or the nature of God in our lives, church. Listen, when you build a house... You need a set of blueprints. If any of you are in the, build, in, in the building or con- contracting business, you know you need a set of blueprints. Before you can build a house or start a house, you need a set of blueprints according to the county. And, and, and those blueprints have to be developed to code. You have to have blueprints and you have to have them built according to code. And unless you do, guess what? You can't move in. Unless you do, you won't, might not even have a safe house. Unless you do, you won't get a certificate of 
occupancy church because there are irreducible minimums when it comes to proper construction. There's minimum depth for footings, minimum depth for foundation. There's minimum gauges of steel for structural integrity. There's minimum R values when it comes to insulating your house properly so you don't lose heat, so you don't use too much energy, so you don't drain the grid. There are minimums required when it comes to building houses, when it comes to paving roads, same way. you got to go so deep in order to maintain the traffic that goes across that. But when it comes to homes, there's minimum fire ratings on walls doors. There's load-bearing ratings as well. My point through all of this is that there are irreducible minimums are required in order to build successfully. In order to have a house that won't fall when the first wind blows by. In order to have a house that's safe when a storm kicks up. In order to live in a house that, you, that, that, that keeps the heat and keeps you cool. That allows you to move in and get a certificate of occupancy as well. And in the same way, Paul was telling Timothy, if you want to build godly character in your life, if you want to build godliness in your life, if you want to build Christ-likeness in your life, if you want to build power and you want to build uh, anointing and you want to build spiritual success, if you want to build the favor of God in your life and the, and the goodness of God in your life and the abundance and the blessings of God in your life, it all begins with a set of irreducible minimums. But we don't like to hear that. And it's the difficulty we have in our pursuit of godliness because it goes back to the very first thing. It is my personal responsibility. And we're living in a society that doesn't like to be responsible for anything. It was his fault or her fault. They don't want to be responsible for anything. But God is teaching us something different. How many of you know that the Word of God teaches exactly opposite of the world? If the world teaches you one way to success, as a Christian you should know, you know what, i got to do the exact opposite if I want to be successful. Because, because God teaches different than the, the, the ways of this world. It all begins with a set of minimums. And the very first irreducible minimum in our spiritual training is this thing called commitment. It's this thing called dedication and devotion and determination. It's, it's called commitment. It is the first irreducible trait, irreducible minimum that's required. Listen, without commitment, you won't be godly. Without commitment, you might not even make it to heaven. Without commitment, things won't go right. You've got to be committed if you want the blessings and the favor and the goodness of God in your life. You've got to be committed, church. It is the first irreducible minimum. Remember in 1 Timothy 4, 7, when Paul was speaking to Timothy about training, when he used the word training, he was referencing the athletes who, who trained to compete in what we would call today the Olympics, in the Roman Games. And so what he was telling Timothy was, Timothy, just like the athlete trains physically, and just like the athlete has to be committed to training physically, you need to be committed to training yourself spiritually. You need to commit yourself to training yourself in the things of God and in the Word of God. You need to be committed to going to the house of God and having fellowship with God and praying with God. You need to be committed to loving like God and serving like God and and giving. You understand? You need to be committed, Timothy. It's the first foundation that has to be laid. It's the first irreducible minimum that, that God won't touch. 
God nowhere in Scripture says, okay, you're going to make it to heaven without commitment. There's nowhere in Scripture that you can find an individual that God said, well, you know what? I'll make an exception when it comes to you. You don't have to be committed. God doesn't say that. Commitment is what makes you succeed. Commitment is what gets us to the end. Commitment is what gets us through the fire. Commitment is what gets us through the storm and gets us through the flood. Commitment is what keeps you going when everyone else stops. Commitment is what keeps on praising God and worshiping God, even when someone's biting at your back. Do you understand? Commitment is an irreducible minimum when it comes to acquiring and developing the character of Christ in our lives. And God will not touch it. He won't move it. No matter how much we beg, no matter how hard the situation might be in our life, God will not move this irreducible minimum called commitment. And it must be established in our lives. The truth is no one ever made it to the Olympics without commitment. No one will ever make it to the Olympics without commitment. No football team ever makes it to the Super Bowl without commitment. No, no one ever becomes this superstar of sports world or, or the entertainment industry without this thing called commitment. I want you to understand that no marriage will succeed without commitment. And every marriage fails when it doesn't have commitment. It's the sole number one reason, only reason why a marriage fails is a lack of commitment. You can call it anything you want. Well, it was this and well, it was that. You boil it down, it goes back to commitment. It goes back to the fact that someone in that marriage, if not both, were not committed. They weren't committed to communication. They weren't committed to intimacy. They weren't committed to selflessness. They weren't committed to working it out through thick and thin. They weren't committed to the oath that they made when they stood before a pastor. You understand, they weren't committed. Someone broke the commitment. And when someone breaks the commitment, listen, someone always suffers. When we break our commitment with God, someone always suffers, and it's us. When you're in a marriage relationship and your spouse breaks the commitment, no matter how committed you are and how much you wanted it to work out, bless you for that. But commit, someone broke commitment, and it's why the marriage isn't together. Commitment is the backbone to success, church. If you're not committed, if you want to graduate with honors, you got to be committed. If you want to graduate at all, I don't even care if you graduate with a D. You've got to be at least committed somewhat to getting through college. I'll commit to a D. I remember this story when I was growing up. My sister, my sister's two years older than I. I had every teacher she had. I couldn't stand it because she was number one in the class, graduated number one. She was prom queen. She was class president. She was the goody-goody two-shoes that just loved to go to school. I, I liked school, but, but it wasn't my number one desire to be what she was. And I kind of coasted by B's and C's. And if I got a low grade, I'd work and I'd get it back up. And I remember one year, I, I got so tired of the teachers telling me, why can't you be like your sister? I know it's in you. Why can't you be like your sister? And I said, I'll tell you what, if I make honor roll, you'll never bring up my sister again. If I make honor roll, if I get on that honor roll and I make the dean's list, whatever, you never talk to me about it again. And I committed myself to making honor roll. Guess what? I made honor roll. I got my name in a little piece of paper in the, in the, in the, uh, in the county newspaper and I took it to every one of my teachers and I said, see, I don't ever want to hear about my sister again. But listen, 
It wouldn't have happened if I didn't commit to it. In the same way, spiritually, listen, if you want that kind of success in your life, you've got to be committed. If you want the dream job, there's a job out there that that you want. Guess what? You can't just sit around and wait for it to fall in your lap. You've got to be committed to going after it. You've got to be committed to training for it and and learning about it and and doing whatever else you need to do concerning that job. You've got to be committed. Or guess what? You'll keep doing what you're still doing. Or you might not do anything. The reality is, commitment is, it's the first irreducible minimum when it comes to our spiritual success in our lives. It's something that we cannot give up on, church. In Psalm 63, 1, David said this, he said, earnestly I seek you. Earnestly I seek you. It meant sincerely and seriously and actively. That is the actual definition. Actively I seek you. Guess what? I can't seek God sitting here my whole Christian life. Well, God, I really want you. God, I really love you. God, I'd really love to have felt. Guess what? Then seek me. David said earnestly and actively I seek you. He's talking about he's talking about a seeking that is active. He's talking about a seeking that is committed. He is talking about being devoted and dedicated to pursuing fellowship with God. And the same thing applies with godliness. It must be active. Our pursuit, we can't sit around waiting for godliness to come into our life. We must pursue it earnestly and actively. Or it will be fleeting in our lives. And guess what? Someone else will find it. Someone else will find it. There's someone out there that will find God's favor. There's someone out there that will find God's blessing. There's someone out there that will find God's abundance and goodness in their lives. And Timothy was just, or Paul was just teaching us, if you want to be the one to find it, you got to pursue it. You got to go after it. You can't just say, God, bring it to me. We've got to go after it. It's exactly what Paul was trying to teach Timothy Church. This is what commitment's all about. It's what it, it's what it takes in our pursuit of godliness and, and, and active commitment toward the character of Christ, an active uh, pursuit of the character of Christ in our life. In Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, God speaks to the captives, His people. Locked up in Babylon. They've been held captive. And he says to them, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek for me with all of your heart. You see, the reality is that they've been in bondage hundreds of years. And they forgot about seeking God. They were so wrapped up in their sorrows. They were so wrapped up in their bondage. They were so wrapped up in, in their surroundings. They were so wrapped up in, their, in, in the, the thing that, that ensnared them. That they, they were no longer actively pursuing God. And they come to a point where they cry out to God because they're fed up with their bondage. And they're fed up with the chains. And they're, they're fed up with this separation from God. And God says, guess what? I haven't gone anywhere. I've not gone anywhere. I'm the same God. I'm everywhere. But he says, you know what? If you want to find me, you will find me when you seek for me actively with all of your heart. When you actively pursue me, when you actively come after me, when you do it with all of your heart, what he was saying is that you will find me when you seek for me with a zealous heart and a committed heart. You'll find me when you seek for me with a devoted heart and a dedicated heart, church, and a determined heart. 
You see, that's what it takes in order for us to find God. It's what it takes in order to find from God what it is that we need. It's, it's what it takes in order for us to find, like I said, His favor and His goodness and His blessings in our life. It takes devotion and dedication and determination. When everyone else quits, and no matter what's coming our way, we must be devoted. We must be committed, church. It's what we have to do. We, we have to be committed to this training in godliness. Paul said, it's exactly why Paul said, I press on. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what happened yesterday. Forgetting what happened last week. Forgetting about the person who said something against me. Forgetting about the person that robbed me, cheated me. Forgetting about the person that broke my heart. Forgetting about all my great successes. Forgetting about the great sermon I preached last week. Forgetting about this that happened yesterday. You understand what I'm saying? Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting all of it, good and bad. Forgetting it and not dwelling on it. I press on. I press through. I go forward towards the high call of Jesus Christ. I press on. Again, he's referring to an active commitment to the pursuit of the prize. He's talking about an active commitment to the... He said, I haven't attained it yet. As great as a man he was, as spiritual as he was, as wondrous as he was in writing the word for us. He said, guess what? I haven't attained what I'm after yet. He said, I'm part way there. I've not achieved the, 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 the ultimate godliness. I've not achieved the ultimate holiness. I'm not there yet. I'm still running. I'm still racing. And if I want to get to the end, and if I want to wear a crown, and if I want to wear a robe, and if I want my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if I want a stone with my name on it, you understand what I'm saying? i got to forget about yesterday, and I must actively pursue and commit myself to gaining the prize. Paul said, Timothy, these guys that run and exercise their bodies, they do it for a prize that they can stick up on a mantle and gloat about. And one day it will rust and rot away. It will be thrown in a trash heap and destroyed with all the world. Yet they're committed themselves to attaining that prize. But you're after something more valuable. You're after something greater. You're after something that won't pass away and won't fade away. You're after an eternal crown and a robe of righteousness. And you must be committed just like the athlete was. Amen. Oh, but it, like I said last, oh, it's hard work. Yes, it is hard work. You think it was easy for Jesus to put a cross up on his shoulder? You think it was easy for him to walk uh, his way to Calvary? You think it was easy for him to lay there and endure the pain and the suffering when he could have called 10,000 angels? You think it was easy for him to watch a couple uh, soldiers gamble over his garments? No, it wasn't easy. But understand, there are irreducible minimums when it comes to being like Christ. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your own cross, and follow me. Those are his irreducible requirements. If you want to follow me, there's things that, that you've got to do. And when it comes to this pursuit of godliness, we have to be just as committed, church. Or we're never going to get there. We'll watch everybody else get closer to the prize. We'll watch everybody else receive the favor, receive the blessings, receive the abundance of God in their life while we're sitting here. When's it my turn, God? When are you finally going to do something miraculous for me? 
When God is saying, how much have you pursued it? Have you pursued it? Have you been committed to it? Have you been devoted to attaining and acquiring the things of God in your life, church? Have you waited and watched everybody else? We must be committed. Paul was well aware of what was required of the young athletes who desired to win a crown of gold. And he was aware that Timothy would have to do the same exact thing spiritually if he was to win an eternal reward as well. So one of the questions that the Holy Spirit asks us tonight, church, is what are we committed to? One of the questions that the Holy Spirit asks is, am I committed to training in godliness? Am I committed to, per, to my pursuit of the character of God and the nature of God in my life? Am I actively pursuing the character of God in my life? Or am I sitting around waiting for it to fall into my lap? And like I said, look, I'm not saying this in a condemning way, church, because I'm part of the same package. We are in a consumer-minded society that is so used to being served, that's so used to sitting and just taking in, we must battle against that. Paul understood what we would be facing today, or he wouldn't have wrote it 2,000 or however many years ago. He wouldn't have written it. He knew that we would be faced with a society like we are today, an uncommitted society. And he was laying this foundation in these irreducible minimums and said, listen, if you... As God's people, you as Christians truly want to be like Christ. You must have this irreducible minimum established in your life, and it's called commitment. The second church thing that we need in our life, the second irreducible minimum that we must have established in our life is a competent teacher or a coach. A competent teacher or a coach. There's no athlete. doesn't matter how much natural ability they have. doesn't matter how skilled they are. doesn't matter it doesn't matter how great they are at the thing that they think they're great at. They need a coach to make them better. They need a coach to keep them going. They need a coach to help train them. They need an individual that can spot even the slightest of flaws and then help them to get rid of those. Help them to achieve an even greater uh, skill than what they have. A coach is there to sharpen skills. A coach is there to push you on when you don't feel like going on. A coach is there to say, come on, son, come on, daughter, get up. I know it hurt. I know it knocked you down. I know you messed up this time, but you understand what a coach is there for? If any of you have ever had a coach, you know what a coach does. They're they're not there to destroy you. They might be hard on you. They might be harsh on you. They might seem to be pushing when no one else is pushing, but they've got one thing in mind for you, success. They've got one thing in mind for you, and that is for you not to give up, but for you to press on no matter what the cost might be so that you might win. Please understand that that individuals bring coaches into their life because they understand there's someone out there that knows a little bit more than I do. There's someone out there that, that has some advice. There's someone out there that sees something I might not see. It's what a coach is for. You see, I feel sorry for the individual that thinks they're the best at everything that they do because that person isn't growing. Because that person thinks, well, I can't get any better. I'm the best at what I do. Doesn't matter what it is. I know people like that. They won't take advice or direction from anybody because they think they are the best at everything you can bring up in a conversation. And I feel sorry for them because they're not growing. 
Because they don't have a higher standard. Because they don't have something they can look up to. It's exactly why Paul said, forgetting what lies behind. I still got some growing to do. I still got some ground to gain. So I press on and I press through. And that's why we need a coach. We cannot go through our Christian life without individuals in our life that can sharpen us. We cannot go through our Christian life all alone. Yes, you'll find yourselves in places where you will be alone. Yes, you'll find yourself in desert situations. But listen, the words of your spiritual coach or coaches, spiritual leaders in your life will come back to your mind. There's one greater coach that I'm going to touch on, but I'm telling you right now, I'm just talking about we must have spiritual coaches in our lives. We must have individuals placed in our lives that, that aren't willing to put up with our excuses. We've got, some, we've got to have some coaches in our lives that can sharpen uh, us like iron sharpens iron. You understand, we've, we've got to have some people in our lives that will hold us accountable. We've got to have some people in our lives that will walk up to us and say, Brother, tell me what's going on in your marriage. Tell me what's going on in your family. We've got to have individuals that come up to us and say, When's the last time you were in the Word of God? When's the last time you prayed? When's the last? We've got to have people that, that, that push us and sharpen us and stir us and motivate us. To this thing called godliness and to the, to the prize that's been set out there before us. I want you to understand you've got a pastor that is a spiritual coach in your life. He pushes you every single week. He, he admonishes you every single week. He encourages you every single week. He'll see you in his office if you have a need when you've fallen down. I want you to understand you must have a spiritual coach in your life. If you think you can do it all on your own, you'll never win. If you think you can do it all without a spiritual coach, without a pastor, without a church, without a small group, without a prayer group, without a prayer partner, without an accountability partner, you understand what I'm saying? You will not win. You won't win. You need someone to hold your feet to the fire and say, look, brother, I know things are tough. Look, sister, I know the storms are raging. Look, I understand the difficulty you're going through, but it's no time to whimper and whine. It's time to get up on your feet. It's time to wipe off the ashes. It's time to lift up a hand and it's time to move forward. Do you understand what I'm saying? we got to have some solid, spiritual, qualified coaches in our life, church. Word of God tells us that God has given us apostles and prophets and evangelists and preachers and teachers for the training of the saints. For the equipping of the saints and the training of the saints. Listen, God has put coaches, spiritual coaches in every single one of our lives. But guess what? It's up to you to use them. It's up to you to listen to them. It's up to you to put to practice what they preach on Sunday or whatever words they speak to you. It's up to you to try to change the flaws that they might point out for your betterment. Instead of getting all ticked off at them when they say you're doing this wrong. Now listen, if they truly love... I know there's people out there that that's their gift. It's just to point out all your flaws. I'm not talking about that kind of person. You need to run from that person. You need to rebuke that person. You need to get that negative spirit out of your life. You need to speak a word into them instead of them speaking a word into you. But I'm talking about someone who's connected with God. I'm talking about someone who's been there and done that and still doing it under the the, the anointing and the power of God. 
I'm not talking about getting advice from someone who's never been there, never done that, and trying to tell you how to do it. I'm not going to go to someone and ask someone to bake a cake that's never baked a cake before. You know, when I get thrown, if I, if I know I'm going to get thrown into a lion's den, the first person I want to go run and find is Daniel. If I'm about to enter into a fire, the first kind of person I want to find is Shadrach, Meshach, or an Abednego. Because they're the ones that have been there, done that, been through it, and come out of it, church. That's what we need in our lives. But so many of us, oh, we don't want that. Because you know why? It takes humility to say, I need a coach. It takes humility to accept the words of the pastor in my life. It takes humility to look at myself in the mirror of the word that God is speaking through his servant and say, you know what? That's for me. And I need to change that. This is exactly what Paul is talking about to Timothy. And it's exactly what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, church. We need a spiritual qualified coach in our life. But please be careful. You can't let any Joe Doe into your life. You can't let any old Jane Wayne into your life. Please understand, you better be real careful who you give access to. You better be real careful who you allow access to your life, who you allow access to your marriage, who you allow access to your finances, who you allow access to your family or access to your soul. Listen, you allow the wrong person access to your marriage, they're going to run off with your spouse. You allow, you allow an individual access, the wrong person access to your money, they're going to leave you bankrupt. If you give access to the wrong person to your family, they're going to destroy your family. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if you give the wrong person access to your soul, you're going to die. You need to protect yourself, church. Please understand me. I know that as iron sharpens iron, so does uh, man sharpen man. But if you're allowing the wrong person to sharpen you, they're going to cut you and kill you and leave you for dead. It's exactly what the devil will do. He's going to wiggle his way in. I got a word for you, sister. I got a word for you, brother. They're going to pull you aside to a, to a little quiet corner and try to exercise some spiritual authority over your life. And you better let your spirit be careful. Because they could be trying to cut you instead of cure you. You better be careful who you allow access to the soil of your soul or any area of your life. And you know why? It's why so many of us don't have coaches at all. Because we don't know who to trust. We don't know who to count on. We don't know who to believe. But listen to me, church. There is one coach. Praise God. There is one coach that never gives bad advice. There's one coach that never fails. There's one coach that won't ever betray you. There's one coach that won't ever let you down. And that is the coach of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the coach we need. Yes, we need men. Yes, we need women. Yes, we need pastors. But I don't care how many pastors, prophets, or priests you have in your life. If you don't have the Holy Spirit as a coach in your life, you're still going to lose. If you don't have the Holy Spirit coaching you through life and towards this thing called godliness, you will not survive. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate qualified coach. Men are filled with flaws. Listen, I'll preach some wrong things 
in my ministry. I'll make some mistakes in my ministry. I might give some direction in the flesh, not purposely doing it. The Holy Spirit will never do so. You see, what you need to do is every time I preach the word to you, every time the pastor preaches the word to you, you better take the prescription we give you for success and go to the Holy Spirit. You better find yourself that quiet little place where the Holy Spirit can talk to you and confirm whether that's truth or a lie, whether it's the spirit or the flesh. You better listen carefully, church, or you won't grow. We need to understand that the, the, the ministry... The coaching ministry of the Holy Spirit is of utmost importance and urgency if we want to survive spiritually. We've got to have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He's the only coach that can lead us into all truth, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is the one that can reveal the deepest things of God, the Bible says. The Word of God tells us that, that the Holy Spirit is the, the only one that gives us knowledge, the truth of knowledge that leads to godliness. It's the very thing that we're pursuing. We're pursuing godliness, and there's only one truth that gets us there. And the only one that can teach us that truth isn't man. It's the, the, the coach of the Holy Spirit. If you want to re, if you want to acquire godliness in your life, scripture makes it clear. The Holy Spirit better be your coach or you'll never get there, church. Listen, it says the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us to a truth. It leads us to the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. Titus 1.1. How many of you know this is the truth? This is the truth that we're talking about. This isn't a lie. Some people think it is. This isn't some make-believe story. This is not someone's uh, hypothesis. This is not some fairy tale story. This is not a grim fairy tale, if you understand what I'm saying, church. This isn't someone's theory. This is truth. This is the knowledge that will lead you to godliness. And the only one, listen, I'll do my best under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to break this down for you. Pastor will do the best within his ability under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to give you revelation from this. But no matter what we speak to you, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings it to life. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives revelation. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings truth out of this and has the power to change your life. Listen, without the, 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 the coaching of the Holy Spirit, this is just words. You see, every time you go to the Word of God, I'm just trying to teach you something here, church. There's so often we run to the Word of God, well, I'll put in my reading today. But you've got to ask yourself, please, how many times do you invite your coach along? How many times do you say, Coach, Holy Spirit, don't call him Coach, I'm referring to him. He's the Holy Spirit. But he is a coach. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, come with me. Holy Spirit, reveal your will to me. Reveal your truth to me. When you go to the Word of God, bring your coach with you, church. If you want to learn something, if you need revelation, if you need insight, if you need to understand the deep things of God, He'll reveal to you things that I will never be able to reveal to you. He'll break down truths to you like no man will ever break down to you. He'll comfort you and equip you. He'll give you everything you need, church. Listen. As, as our coach, the Holy Spirit does three things real quick. The Holy Spirit convicts us when we've gone astray. The Holy Spirit corrects us in what we are doing wrong. 
Holy Spirit knows the thoughts and the intentions of our heart better than any man does. He sees what's hiding under the, the soil. He sees things that no one else sees, and he's the one that will, he will challenge you to change. He'll challenge me to change. He'll nudge you in the middle of the night. He'll, he'll try to speak to you in the, the cafeteria. He'll try to get your attention while you're driving down the road and say, son or daughter, I want to challenge you. Something in your life that you need to correct. Something that you need to change. You've gone astray. You've wandered. And I want to bring you back home. If you truly want godliness in your life, we must have the Holy Spirit as coach. It is an irreducible minimum. Take the Holy Spirit out of the picture and you're lost. Take the Holy Spirit out of your life and you're ignorant. Take the Holy Spirit out of your life and you'll wander all through the desert. You'll, you'll wander your entire Christian life. You need the coaching of the Holy Spirit. You need men, but you need the Holy Spirit, church. And this is one of the irreducible minimums. Lastly, as I begin to close, lastly, the third irreducible minimum in our training is practice, practice, practice. Practice, practice, practice. When I was doing this, I thought, you know what, I'm going to say that about 20 times. Practice, practice, practice. It's what we need. You can have commitment. You can have the Holy Spirit by your side. But without practice, it won't get done. Without practice, practice day after day. Hour after hour, week after week, month after month, year after year. It's practice. We have to practice. You see, what you have to understand, church, is that practice is what puts feet on our commitment. Practice is where we apply the teaching of the coach and the teaching of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Those things are great. They're, they're, they're definitely the two most important, irreducible minimums we have to have in our life. But we have to practice, church. We have to take personal responsibility each and every day and say, okay, God, guess what? Here's another day for me to practice. You've granted me. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning and his loving kindness endures from generation to generation. And guess what? Every day we wake up, it's another day to practice. It's another day to be a little bit more like Jesus Christ. It's another, it's another opportunity to get something right that we got wrong the day before. I don't want to get too much off of this, but there's so many movies out there, and I watched one the other day. But like Groundhog Day, if you've seen that, there's movies like that, dime a dozen. There's tons of them. And, and the individual in the one that I saw was a, was a young lady. She bumped her head, and when she got up, she went through her normal life. And then when she went to bed, clock struck 12, and her life started all over again from the same place where she bumped her head. And the whole movie was about her getting it right. It was another opportunity. She finally realized that I have another opportunity not to live for myself, not to get all the things that I want, not to have all of my wishes come true, but to get it right. And she finally realized that. And when she got it right... Then everything that she wanted came into her life. And listen, the Bible says, when you delight yourself in me, I will give you the desires of your heart. And guess what? We got to practice doing that. We got to practice delighting ourselves in the Lord. We got to practice reading the word. We got to practice praising the Lord. Listen, 
When you're driving down the street and you're in your car, there's no better place to practice praising God. When you're in your workplace and you're surrounded by egotistical managers or bosses or grumpy co-workers, guess what? There's no better place to practice the patience of Jesus Christ. All God wants us to do is practice. So, so my, my question tonight is, is simply this. It's a challenge from the Holy Spirit. Is that if you truly want godliness, he's saying that there's three irreducible minimums that have to be established in your life. You've got to be committed. You've got to acquire a coach. And you've got to practice. So if you're here tonight and you say, God, I want to be godly. If you're here tonight and you say, I want to be godly, I want you to stand your feet because this is, this is the challenge. If, you're, if your prayer is just, God, I, I really want to be godly. I want the, the full character of Christ developed in our lives. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. Are you willing to commit to it? Are you willing to acquire the coaching of my Holy Spirit? And tomorrow you're willing to put it to practice. You see, it's easy to say something tonight. It's easy to make a commitment tonight. But guess what? Tomorrow morning, the Holy Spirit is going to say, Are you ready to practice? Are you ready to be everything that I've asked you to be? And if that's your prayer tonight and you say, Yes, God, that's me. I'm a candidate for you to do a work in. Just lift up your hand for me. And I want God to just recognize that. It's between you and God, not me. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And we're just make that your personal plea to the Lord. Whatever he has to do in your heart, communicate that with him. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word this evening. Thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. You're the first one I give praise to. Father, I thank you that you didn't leave me here standing all alone, bumbling over empty words. That you provided the power and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Not for me to be glorified, but for you to be glorified and for all of us to be changed. So that's my prayer tonight, God. You've challenged us with this thing called the pursuit of godliness. And you've taught us tonight, God, that if we want to acquire godliness in our lives, there's, there's some things we've got to get right. We have to be committed to it, Lord. We need the, uh, the coaching and the power and the wisdom, the comfort of your Holy Spirit as we journey. And we need to practice, God. So I'm praying tonight, God, for a spirit of commitment to come upon your people committed to your word, committed to your house, committed to praise and worship, committed to service, committed to one another in love, Lord God, committed to a a deepening our relationship with you, Father, committed, fully committed, devoted and dedicated to you, Father God, and the, the things of the kingdom, not the things of this world, committed, Father, to the cause of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. God, we can't do it without the anointing of your Holy Spirit. We can't do it, Father God, without the coaching of your Holy Spirit. So we're praying for the Holy Spirit to fall upon us, God, to fill us afresh and anew, to touch our minds and to touch our bodies and to touch our lives. God, it's my prayer that you would lead us into all truth, that you would comfort us in times of difficulty, times of loss, times of heartache, times of great sorrow, Lord God, that you would be that ever-present help in a time of trouble, that you would comfort us in our lion's den, that you would comfort us in the fire and comfort us in the flood, but that you would give us wisdom beyond measure, God, wisdom that man can't give. Your word says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Holy Spirit. And it's what we're asking tonight for divine wisdom. Uh, from your Holy Spirit, God. 
We need a touch. We need to be empowered, God, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit, so that we would not satisfy the desires of the flesh, but that we would be pleasing to you because we are obedient to the Holy Spirit. Help us to be people who are led by the Spirit, O God. And most of all, God, as we close, help us to not just be hearers of the Word tonight, but those who do it, those who practice it, those who put feet to it and hands to it, God, those that put it in motion, those who make it active in their lives. God, I know that we all find ourselves in places of difficulty. I know we all fall. I know we all stumble. But help us to get back up and keep on going. To be practicing this thing called godliness in our lives. Let us love one another like you loved us, Father God. Help us to sharpen one another like you sharpened us. Help us to realize and understand we're not in this race alone, God. That there's a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. There's some coming behind us. And there's some running with us right now. So I pray that you would bind us together, O God, in love and in unity. So that we might be victorious, O God. So that all of us should win that prize. And none of us, God, would be disqualified for a lack of commitment, God. We give you the praise and the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we just bless the Lord? I I just feel like if we can, I just feel like before we go, I just want to sing a song. I don't know what song. Just a song that's committing our soul and our spirit, our heart to the Lord. It could be something you sang, but I just want us to sing one more time and just bless God. Okay? Amen.
Can we just say that name? Jesus. Amen. Say it on three. One, two, three. Jesus. Amen. Let Jesus be your strength, your joy, and your peace as you go this week. If you have a special need, be happy to tarry with you. Otherwise, go and practice his word. Amen.